Welcome to the podcast, Harry. Are you looking forward to putting your own stamp on the Grassroots Sky podcast? Well, I hope so. Um, yeah, I'm ple- pleased to be on it. And um, I hope that I, you know, I hope I'm more interesting than I normally am, because if I'm not, then <laughs> uh, your, your listenership is going to struggle. No, I'm sure it'll be brilliant, mate. So um, for those people who don't know who you are, you are Harry Derham and you do work for Paul Nichols. That's the, the basics of it. But go on, expand on what it is you do, uh, where you come from and all those sorts of things. Yeah, that, that is what I do. Uh, I've been doing, I've been Paul's assistant now for five years. I uh, worked for him for 10. Um, well, I'm just going to tell you about it, really. That, that, that is the basics of it. Um, you know, I, I rode professionally for a, for a short time. Uh, didn't love it, so so find myself in this job. Absolutely love this, um, and yeah, I think that's the crux of it. Yeah, amazing. And for those listeners who don't know, um, Paul Nichols is probably the pinnacle or one of the pinnacle trainers within British jump racing, even I suppose across the world. For sure. Yeah. For sure. He, he, you know, he's he's, he's twelve times national champion trainer. Um, he's been incredibly successful he's trained well over 3,000 winners now he's well on his way to 4,000 which I'm sure in time he'll get um yeah no he's he's you name a big national race he's won it he's been he's fantastic trainer and I'm very very lucky to be doing what I'm doing with it yeah I was gonna say it must be um quite a feat to be able to go into a room and people say, oh, Harry, nice to meet you. What is it you do? And you just say, you drop in there. Well, I'm assistant trainer for Paul Nichols. It must be a, oh, a hell of a, um, hell of a conversation starter, put it that way. Um, yeah, I, was, I guess so. I, I, I'll be honest with you. I've never really thought of it like that. I, look, I, I, I thoroughly enjoy my job. I know that I'm lucky to do it and I, and I, I love it, but, um, I suppose it's one of those things that I, you know, I've I've done now for a bit of time, and and I'm not blasé about it, but I, I guess everyone that's in my life knows what I do, and and you know, it, it's just um, it's it's not just a job, it's it's more of a way of life, and I think if you're going to work, probably in sport and be successful, then I think you, it needs to be a way of life and your passion and and what you live for. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I, I, I guess I don't think about it too much. I just get up every day and, and do my job and try and do it well. Is it one of those jobs where you literally, you your alarm goes off and bang, you're you're up because you actually love what you do. There's no sort of holding back, like the passion is there on a day-to-day basis. Oh yeah, the, look, there's some days when you get up and you think, oh, I could do that, <laughs> you know, it's... How how are we with how are we with language? I'll, I'll yeah. say raining. Mm, carry on, mate. I can put explicit explicit content on. If, yeah. if, if you if you if you wake up and it's pissing down and you think, you know, at a, half five yeah. or five, <laughs> five o'clock when it's dark and it's cold, you, you know, there are days when you think, bloody hell, this could be a difficult day. But look, I I'm under no illusions. I love my job. I love what I do, and I. I suppose I, I've got friends that do things that they don't love and don't have a passion for. And I would guess that makes life very difficult. I mean, you know, I, as I just said, it, it sort of does have to be a way of life if you want to work with horses because 
you know, you can't you can't say to a horse on a Friday night, well, look, I've actually got a lot on this weekend, and I'll be back Monday. But if you can look after yourself until then, that'd be that'd be blinded. Like yeah. the idea of the racehorse and the the thoroughbred breed is that they are, you know, they are heavily dependent on human beings for them for their care and. Um, you know, if you're, it, it's like any athlete. If you're going to ask them to perform at such a high level, um, you have to, you have to give them the best of everything. Because you know, you, um, Olympians or professional sports people aren't aren't treating themselves badly and then expecting a good performance. And and, and race sources are the same. You have to, you have to put an awful lot of care and attention and work into them if they're going to perform at their best. Hundred percent. And going back to the uh, cold and wet days, anybody locally who's been up to Wing Canton on Boxing Day in the freezing cold will know only on a point zero one percent basis how weather can be during horse racing. But for you on a daily basis, I'm sure you've dealt with some um, extreme cold and wet conditions. That's for sure. Yeah. Look, it's it, by nature of our our job the the. You know, predominantly we race in the winter, so um, <laughs> you're going to be outside. You're <laughs> going to get wet. You're going to get cold. Um, but it's one of those things that a good mate of mine who who did his gap year with me before he went to university. He always used to say to me, "There's no such thing as bad weather, only bad clothing." And whilst I don't agree with him, because there is some bad weather, yeah, um, I, I do sort of think you, you know. It, if, if, as long as you've, as long as you're dressed for it, and you know, I, I say to the guys, there's nothing worse than being cold. So just don't be cold. As long as you, you know, as long as you've got the right kit on, and you know, there are, you just have to have in your head. There are some days you're going to wake up and you're going to get soaking wet all day. Well, could be an awful lot worse. Being outside in the fresh air is a, is a good way of life, um, and I, I, I'd much prefer that and be a bit cold or a bit wet some days than, than being stuck inside because that is the lifestyle that I enjoy, you know? Yeah, unbelievable. So what a great start to the podcast. I feel like we kind of uh, went on a bit of a, a brilliant tangent then, which is good, just to give people a little bit of an insight into pretty much like your day-to-day basis in regards to your job. But obviously, of course, the Grassroots Guy podcast, I can't not speak to you about your first sporting memories. Obviously, when we first spoke, you mentioned that you liked a bit of everything really as a kid so if you was to throw your mind back all the way to sort of primary school secondary school what were your first memories of sports as such suppose I was always I was always very sporty my mother and father were both sporty dad you know dad loves his football I'd say there wouldn't be a night in the Premier League season where he's not watching a game big Liverpool fan um so always, always played sport with dad in the garden, whatever. I guess my earliest sort of competitive sporting memory, I suppose, would either be at school, at you know, primary school in, in you know, sort of the, we had a field and they'd paint the 50 metres running track from there and you'd do that. And I suppose the other one would be sort of Jim Carner's, you know, pony shows and horse shows when I was younger and, my grandfather used to take me to them and throw me on and off a pony and do Jim Carners and I suppose that's where I, I love I love being competitive. Like I I I'm sort of whether I'm playing golf or cricket or competing with racing, it, 
I don't really see the point in sport if you're not going to try and win. Now, I'm I'm a big believer in sportsmanship, but I, when the game is gone or the race is gone, then that's it. And I'll go and have a beer with some of the beaters or whatever it is. But I, I am I am competitive. I love being competitive. I love competition. I love competing, and uh, I suppose that's why I've always sort of had a passion for sport. Yeah, unbelievable. I've got a question there then. So, like, obviously, from a outside of the fence. Um, T- like take on horse racing you obviously go to jumps and you go to meets knowing that maybe your horse doesn't have potentially as good as a chance as like maybe the favorite that's obviously set up by the bookies or whatever at the start of the race and obviously the pundits that tip them and whatnot how do you as a trainer deal with the fact that you know you're the outsider then in regards to like preparation and all those sorts of things uh, well, the first thing I would say is that, luckily, working for Paul, you you go racing a lot of the time. And you have horses that are, you know expect to win, so so that's the the first thing. But um, I would say one of the biggest things that makes Paul makes Paul as good as he is, and and makes his team as good as hopefully we are, is that we you have to believe. Yeah. So look, you, I've noticed with Paul there may be races that on the outside it doesn't look like it's likely that we're going to win or that there might be horses in there with a better profile as you say or a better chance but the point is if you're going into a if you're going into a race there's sort of no point in thinking you can't because where does that get you if there's if there's two or one better than you on the day and you've done everything you can you finish second more fine but Paul is is a believer and he thinks it's going to happen and he convinces himself it's going to happen. And that 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 rubs off on everyone. And, and all of a sudden, the whole thing becomes about we think we can win and we want to compete. And, you know, Paul, Paul is one of the best trainers around for the last 20 years. His strike rate is roughly 25%, which means 75% of the time you're going to get beat. So, you know, you, you can't go throwing your toys out of the pram and... and being unrealistic that you're going to win every time because you're not but there's no harm trying to and there's no harm thinking we can go and compete today and you know we can get in amongst it and and that's our view you know look we we want to win i i i don't think we're in your face about it we're just we're very competitive we're absolutely trying our best um and, and now there, there are situations when a horse might finish third and it might be the best run of his life. So then you have to be delighted. But, you know, Paul is a believer and he always has been. And he's instilled in me that you have to, if you're going to go and compete, you have to believe and you have to think it's going to happen. Um, so that's, I suppose, how we how we deal with it. Really. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And just listening to you, Harry, like I can sense the complete passion and the belief like within you. And I think that is something... <laughs> Obviously, like within this podcast, I've had amateurs and professionals. But when you do get to that professional level, it's something that, you, like you say, it has to be instilled in you that you want to win. And almost sometimes you even take the question out, right? Like we are going to win and we yeah. do everything we can, every bit of preparation, like everything we can do the night before to actually get the best out of this horse and go and get a result the next day. Yeah, for sure. And look, you know, the... These horses, I mean, you know, casual fans of racing or, or, you know, people that might go racing, as you said, wing canter on a boxing bear, whatever it might be, 
you know, you, you turn up and you see that horse that's ready to race. But the idea is that there's been months or possibly years of work gone into that horse to, to get to that moment. So, you, you know, you're, you're preparing all the time for a horse to be absolutely as good as he possibly can be. Yeah. So you know, that might be if a horse is having his first race in the season in November, or he might have been in training from the 12th of July. So for all of that period of time, you're preparing him to go and win and be competitive. And, and that's what it's about for us. You know, it, it, it's, it's about trying to, to absolutely compete at the highest level all the time. And that's what, that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. Amazing. So just going back to your sort of timeline, then uh, you said you started riding ponies between the ages of 10 and 11. And you said that your grandfather would take you to the shows, is it? Or like the meets or whatnot? So I suppose I started pony racing competitively when I was 11. Um, <clears throat> but I, I suppose I started riding when I was probably before I could walk. But I, I, certainly, I know I started riding when I was four or five, just local shows and gymkhanas. And my grand, I used to ride my pony and my sister would ride her pony and my grandfather would cycle along and he probably taught us how to ride and got us going. So, you know, then did pony club and there was a lot of, lot of time in pony club camp and all those things when you'd be the only boy there and, um, and, and lots of different things like that. And then when I was 11, I, I started pony racing and I did that for, for five seasons. I had a really good time doing it and then progressed from there. Really. But I suppose from when I started being competitive on ponies, which was sort of 10, 11, that's when I, thought that you know I, I wanted to be a jockey and um you know i just i loved the you know I, I, as i said i love competing love being competitive and when you're young and you 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 ride the, the sort of natural thing is you want to be a jockey now you know that that only lasted for a time with me but I, i'm delighted i did it i'm delighted i had that experience of doing it yeah amazing we will come on obviously come on to the fact that you um like became a, a jockey in a minute but from 11 to 15, you did sort of seasons within pony racing. Like if you if you could explain sort of how it works as a pony racer between sort of those ages, how would you go about like getting into events and races and all those sorts of things? Would you literally be in like a league table throughout like a period of time or would it literally just be like you turn up to one event, race, maybe win a medal and then turn up to the next thing and it would all be separate? So, so there were sort of two... Um types of pony racing there was pony racing on on the point to point circuit which is the amateur national hunt circuit um and that was sort of at the start of the year and then later in the year there was pony racing on the on the race courses so I, I was fortunate enough to do both and um there's two categories one for smaller ponies one for slightly bigger ponies and i spent three years on smaller ponies then two on bigger um but yeah i i suppose in in both um put the point to point and the race course series there were finals so if you if you did well enough in in the in the qualifying races as it were you'd you'd then qualify for the finals and that's you know we was fortunate enough to go to a few finals and was placed in a few of them and and had a really good time but pony racing for 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 the guys that do it it's more more than winning and and uh what you'll get for winning it's about learning um learning the ropes of being a jockey so it's, i suppose it's a bit like being an academy player for a for yeah. a football team you know it, you're it doesn't matter yet 
but you're getting invaluable experience you're you're learning the ropes you're riding in races you're getting a feel for what it will be like in in the future and, and i suppose that's the same within academy you know under 13s or under 15s and you know the grand scheme of things is sport when you're young shouldn't matter because your sport is the is the joy of sport is you're having fun you're you're doing it with your mates you're competing and and actually i think that you know while i was always competitive mum and dad and granddad was all about well just go out and enjoy yourself and you know learn a bit and have fun and i think that's when you're younger that's how sport needs to be because there's no good in having I mean, the only pressure that was put on myself was from myself because the whole week I'd be thinking about it and looking forward to it. And um, But when you're young, you've got to enjoy sport and just go out there and, and learn and get a taste for it and get a feel for it. And, and, and that's what pony racing provided for me. Just in general then, Harry, did it like, because obviously you clearly had a passion for horse racing and horses at such a young age. And like you say, you was thinking about it from like sort of Monday, you knew you had a, a meet or a race on a Saturday and you knew that you were thinking about it on Monday. Did it kind of take any of your attention away from sort of your academics and like what you did at school or were you pretty on the money at school? Without, without question. Look, I was always well behaved because um, my mum and dad, I hope, brought me up to, you know, if someone's in charge, do as you're told and don't be a dick, basically. Um, <laughs> I, look, I, school was never going to be a long-term thing for me. I, um, I, I, I did it, I got through it, I behaved myself and, and the, the only complaint I had really was that it would be better if he concentrated a little bit more because that was just, I, I sort of thought I knew what I wanted to do. I knew the industry that I was going to go into. And, um, you know, I understand that, that um, school is incredibly important and, and they are, when you look back, you think, my God, it's easy. You rock up at nine o'clock and at half three, you've left and you've had an hour and a half break in between. Like is you know, it's a walk in the park, isn't it? But um, I was always very much, I, I sort of, I thought for a long time when I was growing up that racing was the industry that I wanted to be and there wasn't a day that went by when I didn't think about it. And, um, you know, the older I got in school, the more convinced I was and the closer it got, the almost the further away it felt because I'd be, be in a geography lesson at half past two thinking, God, I can't wait for this weekend or I can't wait for this evening and catch up on the racing or whatever it was but you know I was never I was never badly behaved at school I've sort of kept myself to myself I've, I've got a, one very very dear friend of mine that I've stayed in touch with but um, you know school for me was never going to be the my sister sadly took the looks and the brains of the family so for me it was always going to be get through school and then and do what do what I wanted to do then. Yeah amazing um, so when was it you knew that like horse racing was the industry you wanted to go into was it like from a before school age or was it sort of when you were in school and all of the teachers were saying oh you like what do you want to be and people were saying I want to be a teacher I want to be a fireman blah 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 and you just knew then I want to be in horse racing yeah to be honest with you for as long as I I've known you've got to grow up and do a job it's been horse racing you know I, amazing it, 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 I, I always I always have this joke my cousin Megan who's 
very talented jockey and a talented broadcaster, talented everything else, that say to her, it's difficult for you because you're good at so many things. It's very simple if, if there's one thing you're good at. And the thing that I feel like is that horse racing is my thing. I'm not that good at anything else. So I'm, I'm, I was, I had my heart set on being in racing for a long time. And like it, look, it's, it's much more than a job. It, you know, it's completely my life. I, I'm, I'm on holiday for the next couple of weeks. I always take some holiday in June, but it'll be, it'll be harder to switch off and have some holiday than it will be to switch on when I come back. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Um, so obviously you wanted to be a jockey when you was doing your point to point on ponies to begin with, but then you did go into the amateur game as a jockey and just tell us a little bit about that and your experiences as a, I suppose, a fully fledged jockey. Yeah. So, so it was a sort of process of once I, um, once I turned 16 and, um, was able to ride in point to point. So Paul, who also is, is my uncle and was go, going to be my boss eventually, was always very supportive. And um, I started riding in point to point when I was 16. The, the, the sort of year that I was at, my last year at school, I was riding point to points on the weekend, which was fine, but I, I, I probably wasn't, you know, looking back, you, I mean, you, you can't wait to do it and you, you think it can't come soon enough, but I probably, I probably wasn't strong enough because you, I wasn't riding out every day. I was obviously doing my schoolwork. So, you know, it'd be a case of going for a run before school and then, and then you might go to the gym after school or whatever it was and maybe, maybe ride work once a week. If, if you know, my head teacher was very, very good and she, she let me, um, she let me go away on sort of Thursday morning to ride work as long as I was back by sort of half 10, 11 o'clock. So point to point was a fantastic experience for me, but I probably just wasn't strong as I could have been just because of my, my situation. And then, so I did that for my, my first season my, and my last year at school. And then once I'd done my GCSEs, it was, um, I, I left school and, and joined pools. And then I had my first few rides as an amateur for pool. Uh, in late September after I left school in the July um, and then things sort of snowballed from there and two months later I had a, a big win at Cheltenham and um, won a race called the Great Wood Hurdle and then two weeks later after that I um, turned professional so I, I suppose it was you know that all happened quite quickly and um, then I had three years as a professional which I, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Yes uh amazing really i've got your like statistics up here and obviously it says your wins and whatnot and like looking at it is obviously like really impressive to know that you've had that many winners and obviously we'll come on to why you're not a jockey in a minute but do you remember the first time that you broke over the the finishing post in first place and how how could you describe that especially obviously at such a young age yeah, so my first winner under rules, which is on a race course, was um, uh, a race course called Leicester. Uh, it was in a two-mile hunter chase, a horse called Tackrock, who lovely, lovely old horse. He he was a you know he was a good horse for a man called Chris Giles, who was an owner of Pools, and Chris very kindly let my mother and father have a, a third share in him with the idea that I'd ride him in some hunter chases. Um, and I yeah, just, I I always joke that. There was more members of my family at Leicester that day than anybody else in the entire crowd. Um, you know, it was the last race on a 
sleepy day at Leicester. Very, you know, hardly anyone there. But um, yeah, I, I, I will always remember that day. I suppose it's um, one of those things that racing when you're when you're really young and you haven't done it that often, it tends to happen like that because the nature of it is you're on a half a ton animal galloping at quite a big jump. So you, it all tends to happen quite quickly. Um, but then the elation and the joy it brings after the race is, is, is fantastic. But um, the, thing, the thing you learn about being a jockey and when certainly when you start to have more than one ride a day or when I, when I started more than one ride a week, you, you very quickly learn that the um, there are more hard days being a jockey than there are good days. I, I mean, I have total admiration for the, all the jockeys that ride now. It's it's a very very tough job. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of lads out there, very talented men and women that that ride at probably 15% strike rate, and that by nature of the beast is a lot of times you're going to get beat. Um, but it, it's a it's a very tough way of living, but I was I was very fortunate in the sense that I had a good job. I was riding some lovely, lovely horses, and um, you know the time that I did it, I did enjoy. Yeah, it's brilliant. And then obviously you said that you had a winner at Cheltenham pretty early on in your um, in your jockeying career, as such. What do you was that like the festival? No, so uh, it's called the Open Meeting, which is their big three day meeting in November. Yeah. A horse called Bramport. I rode I rode at Cheltenham the month before in October, finished second on old handicap chase, a lovely horse called Earth Planet from a man called Roger Penny and Paul trained the horse and that was a lovely experience. And then um two weeks before the open meeting at Cheltenham, I rode this horse called Bramper at Ascot and he went and won. He won quite a fifty thousand pound race and nice race and it was all a bit of a surprise and it's like, God, wasn't that wasn't that brilliant, you know, just sort of couldn't really believe it. And then two weeks later, he was going for a race called the Greatwood Hurdle, which was like the one of the big races of that meeting. Um, and I, I remember the day so, so well. Um, you know, it was just one of those days in my in my life that I'll, I will forever remember. Um, you know, the only the only thing I, I, I wish that someone had done to me at the, the, the top of the hill uh, when you pull up, once you finished, is I wish someone had said to me, enjoy these next five minutes. Because the 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 next five minutes when you walk past down the stands and you came into the winners enclosure, but uh, for a jockey, that's you know that is that's why you do it to ride a, a nice horse in a good race and, and win. And um, I I remember that day very well. But the the real magic part of that day just went so quickly because it's it's like anything you know when you when you're on that much of a high, it's just such a blur and you you're trying to take it all in. But when you're just 17 and, and it's all you've ever dreamt of it's very very hard to go right i'm really going to enjoy this yeah 100 percent. almost like uh like the the naivety of your age probably just like you were you were so in the moment that it didn't even give you a chance to take it all in type thing you know well you're you're, you're absolutely right like it, it was my second ride at cheltenham i think it was my fourth or fifth ride against professional jockeys um and i'm, I'm never forget i galloped up past the winning line in front and I remember laughing to myself thinking what has just happened <laughs> yeah. I spent six years or ten years stood on that lawn just there with my dad watching these races thinking god I'd love to do that and there I was I, I was interviewed by Channel 4 at the top of the hill and it was the most 
embarrassing interview ever because I was so out of breath and so just just couldn't couldn't believe that it had happened. Um, but it you know it it was one of those things that you know literally six months ago I was sat there watching the telly going I'd love to I'd love that to be me and then it was yeah um, unbelievable yeah, it was you know just sharing an experience with a good friend of mine who's he's just 20 a guy called Lorcan Williams he rode his first Cheltenham Festival winner last March um, and as he was walking down the walkway I just said to him whatever you do enjoy these next few minutes because you know, you, when you do it, you think, oh, it'll happen again, it'll happen again. But they're incredibly special moments when they do happen. And I think it's probably like any sport, isn't it? If you win a cup or you, you know, win the league or whatever it is, you, they are very, very special moments. And they probably, I would guess people take them for granted, don't you? Because you think, oh, we'll do it again, we'll do it again. But I think, um, you know, that those moments, they don't come around very often, particularly when you're, you're riding, you you soon realise that the good days are far outweighed by some bad ones. Yeah, I think, like you said at the start, that you're really competitive. And I think that's something that I can relate to you with, obviously not in a professional uh, standpoint. But at the end of the day, no matter what um, level of sport you're at, whether it be football, cricket, horse racing, gymnastics, winning is the moment that you... Winning, sorry, is the experience that you play those things for, right? And you're in those in the game for. Oh, I totally agree. And what I love about sport is it, it could be a village game of cricket. But for those couple of hours that you're playing in it, it could be the most important thing in your life. And like that's what's wonderful about sport is that it doesn't actually matter what level you play it at. Like there's a, you know, the, there's a level for everyone. And whatever level you're competing at things, if, if you're if you're able to get immersed in that moment and go, this is what I really care about and I'm going to be really passionate about this and try really hard for these moments. And that, that is the magic of sport, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. 100%. So unfortunately then, Harry, you had uh, three or four years as a pro jockey before you had a little bit of a accident. Is that right? Yeah, so it's quite simple, really. It's, um, it was two and a half years into my my career um i was enjoying things it was going well i was hoping that this was going to be the sort of breakthrough season but the season that i kicked on and um started to get a few more rides and do better and um was in the middle of october i was riding a horse called fox run really lovely horse of the late mr roaches who was a massive supporter of pools and um it was a decent race um traveling very very well three out probably traveling, the horse was probably traveling too well, to be honest, and he was traveling very easily, and, you know, I was fairly confident that he was going to win, and there were two horses just in front of me, and the horse I was following took off on quite a long stride, and um, to the hurdle, and my horse took off on the same stride, um, so obviously his two front legs went down through the hurdle, and he took a horrible fall, sadly lost his life in that fall, and um, I, look, I didn't, compared to some of the injuries that jockeys have, I didn't injure myself that badly. I broke my nose and I, um, I did send it to my shoulder, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't God compared to most of the fools these guys have. It was, it was nothing. But, um, from then on, it was just, it was most odd from then on. I thought I'm for whatever reason, I started thinking about it too much. And I was 
trying too hard to make things happen. And I'm sure you know yourself when playing amateur sport. And if you're the moment you try too hard and you try and start making things happen and you think about it too much, you're goosed. Um, and I, I was basically ten months after that fall, I came to the conclusion that if I'm 18, sorry, just 19, and I'm getting worse at something at that age, well, something had to give. So, um, so that's why I stopped because you, you know, you, riding is 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 a funny thing in that when you're winning and when you're doing well it's quite hard to explain what you're doing because yeah. it sort of just happens. It's like if you, you, I don't know, if you bowl a good spell or you play a good round, like I played a good round of golf the other day. I've never played so well in my life. Could I tell you what I did differently? Of course I couldn't. I haven't got a clue. Just for whatever reason, it just clicked. And racing's like that. And, and when you've got confidence and you're winning, it's, it, you can't explain what you're doing but because it's just happening and, and your confidence is high, you make the right decisions, it's split second stuff and it just works. And the moment you start forcing that and you start trying to make things happen or searching for something that's not there, that's when all of a sudden everything goes wrong. And that's what was happening. And, and I basically thought that, if, that, you know, owners put a lot into our sport. They pay a lot of money for the horses. They pay you good money to ride those horses. And if I wasn't fully committed and wasn't getting better at that age i had to stop so i did yeah and you um you speak with such assurance harry like obviously for somebody that could have clearly like potentially ruined like not ruined them but you know what i mean been a complete kick in the nads for the rest of like their careers as such you could have like almost taking it to the full point where you were like, do you know what? I don't even want to be involved in racing anymore. But actually, like we're looking, we're, we're, we're talking to you now as obviously assistant trainer. You took another opportunity by the reins, if you like, and ran with that. So yeah, it's, it's really impressive. But one thing I do want to um, talk about before we go into like the training type thing, is just, you mentioned the word confidence. I'm the biggest believer in the world even at amateur level that I don't care who you are, whether you're obviously a professional jockey, like you were your uh, Jimmy Anderson running in, like having an amazing spell in the ashes. Like when you think about Brody taking four wickets in two overs or whatever it was sort of two years ago against South Africa, if he really sort of broke it down as to what he actually did at that moment, I'm putting 75% of what he achieved or what people achieve, whether it be a footballer, a boxer, whatever, it's down to confidence. I'm adamant. Like there's so much to it. Would you agree? I would. Yeah. Um, I mean, a couple of examples. I, our, our stable jockey, our first jockey now is a guy called Harry Cobden. He's, he's not, he's not an old man. I think he's just 22. Very, yeah. very talented. Jockey. But the reason he's as good as he is, is because he is supremely confident. And he's not cocky, he's not arrogant. But if you didn't know him, he'd have an air of that about him because he, he believes that he can do it. And on the big stage, when when a bit of self-doubt might creep in or a bit of, you know, you might start thinking about too much and clam up, he, he absolutely thrives. And he loves the big stage. He loves riding in big races because he's a confident guy. He's confident in what he can do. Um, 
my second point is that I think the harder you work and the more you put into something, it is easy to be confident. So I'm I'm a very, very amateur cricketer. Well, I'm a very, very amateur golfer. I play off 16. Now, I don't ever approach golf with a lot of confidence because I turn up and I just enjoy it. And if I play well, fantastic. But I think... I think if you're if you're going to be at the top of your game or try to be in elite level sport or whatever it is, the more work you put in, the more focused you are, the more hours you do, that is when you can go to the big days and you can be confident that you're going to do your best because you're prepared. You know, it's all well and good someone coming in and blagging it and saying, "Oh yeah, I'm super confident. I can I can do this. This won't be a problem." Well, if you've not put the work in you're not going to be able to do it. But if you can if you can go to your your sporting event and say, well, I'm as prepared as I can possibly be, then that breeds confidence, doesn't it? Because, you know, if, if there's no more you can do to prepare and, you know, you've done, you've done everything you can in your power to be ready for that event, race, competition, then why shouldn't you have confidence? Yeah, yeah, great answer. Um, is... Is it a theme within the yard then in regards to confidence? Is it that obviously Paul is incredibly confident that it rubs off on all of you guys? Is it an environment that you try to create? Obviously, because talking to you now, you can hear the passion, you can hear the confidence. And obviously, like, it's not arrogance. It is literally just the fact that you want to achieve the best that you can. And I believe that you have to have some kind of confidence to do that. Yeah, Paul, Paul, Paul believes, and he is he is very self-assured and confident in his ability. But that's because he puts the work into it, you know. Mm. And that's what all of us. I mean, you know, I speak for myself. Learning from him and 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 working with him um, makes you feel the same because you know you you think, well, I'm working for one of the best men to do this job. Um, I know what we do is very well thought through. I know what we do is the constant evolution and constant, how can we do this better? How can we make that horse run faster? How can we look after these horses better? How can we feed them better? How can we make the calories better? So like when you get to a race or a festival or whatever it is, whether you succeed or whether you fail, the, the, the confidence level is we are, we are absolutely left no stone unturned to be prepared for this. And I think if you, if you've done that, well, look, the, the reason we all love sport is because you don't know the outcome. So you can't control the result. You know, you, as, as I just said, you, you're not going to win every time, but you can be confident that you've done absolutely everything you can in order to try and win every time. Yeah, brilliant. Um, in regards to yourself, Harry, what's next for you? Well, the, the eventual goal is to train myself. Um, because I, I want to do it on, you know, on my own back and I, I'd love to, you know, I make no secret of the fact I'm inspired by Paul to do what he's done um, and I want to I want to compete in the best races with the horses that I've trained. And now, that's one day. Um, there has to be the right opportunity to do it. And But in the immediate future, what is next for me is continue to get better at what I'm doing. I'm... I'm five years in, as I say, I feel like this last season was my 
uh, best season as an assistant. I feel like I'm starting to, you know, get a decent grasp of the job. And the the more you understand the role and the more that you do it, the more um, you find it easier because you know what's expected of you. And, and this season coming up will be exactly the same. I want to be the absolute best assistant I can possibly be. I want to, you know, I want to think of the things that Paul needs me to do before he's thought of them. I want to... I want to be involved as I possibly can. I want to get to know our owners. I want to know our horses really well so that when Paul says, what do you think of this one? You can actually have an informed opinion without bullshitting. And, you know, I, I, I want to be, I want to be as absolutely as good as I can be at, at my job. And um, while I believe now that I'm, I'm starting to do a good job at it and I, I'm, I'm really happy that I feel like that now, I absolutely know there's, there's loads more I can do, and and Paul breeds into you um, a desire to want to get better. So being around him every day, like you'd have to be a real bum to be around him every day and and just stay the same. Like he he's twelve times champion trainer. He's won every Grade One there is to win, and every day he's in here at half six and he wants to do better than he did yesterday. So that that rubs off on you doesn't it if you're a young man that's inspired by a person like him you you want you know i want to get better i want to come up with a solution that makes our horses run faster that keeps them in better care that keeps them in better health like that's what i want to do and i want to be absolutely as good as i can to do our my job so that our horses are better and win more races that's what i want to do yeah, incredible. And it must be such a like revelating thing to be able to like sort of work with somebody who is basically at the elite of their game, right? Yeah, he you know, he's he's he, what what inspires me the most about him is that he has done everything you possibly could do in our sport. And all he's wanted to do is do it all again. Yeah. Um and like I, that to me is like it's so inspiring because he could easily say, "Well, I'm I'm pretty good at this. I've done it all. I'm going to keep doing it because you know I can make a good living. I'd do well, but I'll just tip away and I, I won't be in on a Monday because I quite enjoy doing this. And like none of that. This is his life. He absolutely lives for it." He like even now he was saying to me the other day. So I don't think I've ever had a better system in place for doing what we do, and that made me really proud because I thought he's he's done it for a long time now. You know he's had some fabulous horses through his hands, but he is still now every single day. How can we do that better? How can we make that better? And you know we've already we've made a lot of improvements to the gallops this summer already, and he's always buying. And, you know for example today he bought three new horses. Like there's this constant cycle of let's keep going forward keep keep pushing keep doing better and that's why that's why when he stops whenever that will be he'll be one of the statistically one of the greatest national trainers ever because he has got that drive to the, the until the day he stops he'll want to keep getting better and that's what makes him as good as he is yeah amazing and obviously uh we'll we will all look forward to seeing you in 30 years time or whatever notching your first thousand, two thousand winners as your own trainer, mate. So that'll be a yeah, moment. Well, one day, that's my dream. You know, there's no point. Uh, and look, Paul knows it. I'm, I'm very open with him about the, the fact that that's what I want to do. And 
and I've made no secret of it, but I, I've got a lot to learn yet. Harry, that's brilliant. I think we've wrapped up your uh, your sporting timeline so far. However, it does sound like we could potentially get you lined up for another episode, another day, mate. But excitingly, we've got um, 11 questions to finish, which is my opportunity to test you, not test you, but ask you some quick fire questions. Um, they okay. should, be, should be pretty straightforward. Um, we, we time it and we put you against other people who have been on this, this series. Are you up for it? I'm, I'm up for it. I can't imagine I'll be great at it. My brain doesn't work that fast, but <laughs> it's all good, mate. So in three, two, one, we'll start the 11 to finish. Harry, what is your favorite Tesco meal deal choice? Carbonara. Love it. Best sporting memory. Ryder Cup, Paris. Very good. Sporting hero. In racing, Paul Nichols. Outside of racing, Rory McIlroy. Very good. Favourite takeaway choice? Uh, there's a local takeaway. Castle Kerry Kebab. Shout them out. Uh, probably chicken burger. Love it. Uh, go-to music choice? Oh, go-to music choice. God. I'm a bit of a Radio 1 monkey, so I'm a bit sort of, yeah, a bit of a Radio 1 monkey. Nice. Favourite drink? Lager top. Love it. Uh, best best coach or manager ever? Sir Alex Ferguson. Oh, nice. Uh, most famous opposition? Of mine? Yeah. Uh, raced against AP McCoy a few times, beat him a couple of times. Very good. Advice you would like to have given yourself at 18? Relax yourself. It doesn't all have to happen tomorrow. Best horses you've trained? Uh, the best horse I've been involved in training is a horse called Clanders Over. Won the Irish Gold Cup three weeks ago. Uh, any pre-race or meat habits? Um, no, I, I, I get excited on the day of it. I'm, the, the week before, I'm nervous because there's a lot can go wrong. But on the day of it, I just I say, look, you're lucky to be involved. Enjoy it. Brilliant. Harry, you have answered the 11 to finish in 1 minute 40, which puts you in third place out of seven so far. So, hey, you've placed each way bet. Solid. <laughs> An each way bet. Well, I don't think it What did I... I started on music. I should have just should have just said something. should have just gone with something random just to get your times in. But, um, yeah, that's yeah, no, really good. Harry, mate, that um, wraps up your episode of the Grassroots Guy podcast. How have you found your experience? Yeah, good. It's nice to. It's funny, like you always talk. I always talk about racing. Yeah. Um, but it's nice to just talk about sport in general. And I sort of look. I've. I um. I like what you're trying to do in the sense of talk about people's sporting experiences because I think it's interesting. Like lots of people that play sport are sporty, aren't they? I mean, my best mate's a cricketer, but he's good at every other sport. You know, like. Yeah lot of guys that do well at sport are, are very very sporty in, in general so i think i think what you're trying to do is cool yeah thanks very much harry honestly it's been a pleasure to get inside the minds of somebody who's clearly gonna go a long way within the within the jump scene and horse racing um if anybody wants to go and find you on social media mate where can they go and find you i'm just harry darren on twitter my instagram's private so don't try and find it there but Harry Darren on Twitter. That's where you'll find me. Perfect. 
Uh, that has been episode seven of season two of the Grassroots Guy podcast with me, Harry Purdy and Harry Derham. You can find me for a new episode here every Friday and you can find me on Instagram at the Grassroots Guy and also on Twitter as well. If you could do me the favour, if you do like this episode of going over to Apple Podcasts and dropping a five-star review, it would be much appreciated and I'll see you here again soon. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>